Sex Ed Speakeasy is not for children. No speakeasies are for children, especially this speakeasy. We will be using very adult language. Very, very, very adult language. This is a Sex Ed Speakeasy, the podcast where we take deep dives into the history of sex and even deeper dives into our drinks. I'm Angel Russell, board-certified sex educator. And I'm Steve Russell. I like my co-hosts like I like my toddies. Hot. So hot. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) All right. On this episode, we are going to talk about Puritan, the Puritans and their sex lives, um, which is going to be not nearly as boring as it sounds by the title. Happy American Thanksgiving, everyone. Yes, it was American Thanksgiving. We are not particularly big fans of the holiday, nor are we particularly big fans of the pilgrims. But we did, I did think it was really interesting to do a deep dive into the way that the Puritans sort of factor into our sexual history as Americans, because we blame a lot of American prudishness and American like squeamishness around sex gets really blamed on the Puritans. Like, oh, it's big puritanical, you know, we're we're rooted in puritanical culture and the Puritans were really anti-sex and the Puritans were really deeply conservative in their sexual values. And so those things are sort of to blame for why America has compared to other nations has like a such a hard time with sex. And so I thought, okay, well, we blame the Puritans for a lot. And so they are important to our sexual history. So I wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit. So we're going to do that. Yeah. Puritanical is really a word that when teenagers learn it, they use it against their parents a lot. (laughs) Yes. Yes, that's true. I mean, I use it a lot as a sex educator. And I'll I'll say I did learn a lot doing this about um, some things that I was really wrong about. I, I don't know. If I want to own being totally wrong about some of this, because I still think that, um, well, you know, we'll just unpack that as we go. But before we get going, let's dive into our drinks and uh, head over to my favorite segment, Aperitifs with Aaron. Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Uh, Tell us again, because now we're officially recording. You are drinking what? I am drinking a hot toddy. Mm -hmm. So are we. And is that that's our drink of the day? Which usually you guys get to enjoy, and I just talk, but I've been drinking them for about three hours now. (laughs) I was going to say, this is the first time you've actually had the same drink with us on the episode, right? Yeah, yeah, and it's rather serendipitous. So hot toddies are one of my wife's favorites, and so I got all the stuff to make them yesterday. And um, how do I word this? We had too much beer, so they didn't get drank. So today, (laughs) today is hot toddy day, and it's cool enough outside for it. Uh, it's a perfect day for I wish it was like a little bit cooler like then it would really be nailed it but yeah it is cool enough to get away with it you just need thinner walls in your house and then it won't matter move to Springfield right move to Springfield (laughs) when we woke up this morning it was 54 degrees in our house that sounds lovely yeah it was uh 66 in here I like chilly willy weather it's my fave. The coldest it's ever gotten in our house is 42 degrees. Wow. That's nice. That's nice. It doesn't get that cold in our house. So so you're you're like me and you just don't turn on your heat ever because you like the cheap bills during wintertime? That's exactly right. Yeah. It actually doesn't cost that much to air condition our house to where we want it to be. 
Uh, but the heat is ridiculous. We have a fireplace that was converted probably in the 40s or 50s, and maybe even more recent than that. Um, over to gas. That's so, nice. All the fireplaces here in Springfield are coal fireplaces. Oh, so I didn't know a, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we have a gas fireplace, so we use that to heat up our family room, our living room, when we're hanging out in there. But otherwise, yeah, we have electric blankets and all the beds. I mean, it's Florida, so you don't need it for that long. No, yeah. We just um, make everybody wear hoodies in the house and suck it up. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't turn the heat on at all. It just doesn't get cold enough to warrant it. And everybody, look, we're a big we're a group of people who really likes blankets and cozy socks. And right. so it's like the very few days a year that we can actually like bundle up. And so we don't, mm. we don't want to ruin it with the heater. Plus like Steve said, it's really nice. Right. And well. So, so Natalie ha- and I never, I was going to say, we never really subscribe to the whole snuggies or whatever non off brand version you want to use. But we're <laughs> big fans of the, of the cozies or whatever non off brand version you want to use. What's a cozy? It is essentially a giant hoodie, like four times bigger than you need, and it's lined on the inside with like a full blanket. Ooh. Oh, hangs I, down about to your knees. How do I not know about I, this? I, I saw something similar um, advertised. I think it's called like the Udi. I got I got I an Instagram ad for it. We call cozies. We call cardigans cozies at our house because we didn't know that a cozy was a thing, and so there. Well. We have, again, we keep them. We're almost at the weather where we'll pull them out. And they basically just sit on our couch and then what we wear when we're downstairs. I want it. Steve's just showed me pictures of one online. And that is right well, in my wheelhouse. So, well, uh, you know, the holidays are coming up. Yes, 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 yes. I, 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 I hate to make this joke, but I'm going to. I might get it for you if you're a good girl. <laughs> and Steve, Steve might get it for you if you're a bad one. <laughs> that Ew. weird to say to your cousin? <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's funny. The joke was too good to pass up. It yeah, was a so. good joke. It was a good joke. It's funny. I... I um I have to stop adding things to my birthday list. Yesterday we were at this antique shop and I fell in love with this absurd pair of antique lamps that are Marie Antoinette. They're busts, ceramic busts, and one of them is Marie Antoinette and the other one is like one of the Louis. And they're just, they look like they're right out of the Haunted Mansion and they're amazing and I want them so much. And so I've been like crying about these lamps ever since we walked away from them. <laughs> And how much were they for the pair? The pair was 150. So it wasn't like, oh my God, I could never do that. But it was also not like impulse purchase price. You know what I mean? It was a little on the, on the, um, got to think about it side. I mean, I know you hate that your birthday and Christmas are so close together, but two people could easily go on and get you that for like a combined bit gift for them and, and not be unreasonable. Exactly. It's a very like, there you uh, go. You pull and, your resources. You and Natalie are two people. <laughs> think, yes. think about how badly you may or may not want them and then make offhanded comments to your husband and then he can let me know. I've just been like very directly saying, I really miss those lamps. So <laughs> where, where were they? Uh, there's an antique shop right across the street from us, like on Phillips Highway called the Great American Antique yep. Mall. Yeah. And they were in there and they were like, yeah, the- I know exactly where that is. We swing by there a lot. We love to go. Antique They're antique sitting antique right antique. on top of the Amazon locker. Yeah. Opposite corner from the yeah. entrance. So okay, good to know. Good yes. to know. So, okay. So speaking of your hot toddy, which we actually weren't at all, except for a second, how we were saying like how do we make them the same or do we make them differently how do you make your hot toddies sure so i mean they all have really similar ingredients of course you have to have hot water yes and then some sort of booze usually it's something that's been barrel aged or something that's been spiced so i have 
bourbon in mine. I'm assuming, did you guys make yours with rum or are you going to? We did ours with bourbon as well. Bourbon as well. All right, cool. Natalie likes them with, with Captain Morgan. I have Larceny bourbon in this, I think. Anyways, yeah. So really all it is is that some sort of sweetener. Usually it's honey. And then lemon juice. So we did ours a little differently. We did apple cider hot toddies. Oh, and so okay. I made a spiced apple cider and I did, so I did, I like did apple cider, put apple cider on the stove and then I add um, oranges and cinnamon sticks and cloves. Apple. And Almost like mulling spices. Apples, yeah, and apples to it. Like, yeah, basically add like mulling spices to it and then I let that simmer on the stove for a couple hours. And then nice. um, in the mug is um, honey and bourbon and a squeeze of lemon and a cinnamon stick. Okay. And then I put the apple cider over that with like, and I garnish with like an orange slice. So I, mine is garnished with a lemon slice, a cinnamon stick and a star of anise. So I get some of those, you know, those spices, winter spices in there too. Yeah. Or did we say nutmeg also? Oh yes. We did. We're super hooked on the fresh ground nutmeg. So I did garnish oh, with see. a little fresh ground nutmeg. Was I telling you guys about that the other You're day? the ones, well, because we did the, the sangri had nutmeg in it. Mm, and so you got mm -hmm. us hooked on fresh ground nutmeg. So now it's like I, I don't favorite. know if it's true. Alton Brown says he always carries a nutmeg nut in his pocket. In all of his Good Eats episodes, he always pulls it out of his, his shirt pocket. I don't know if he actually That's carries it everywhere. funny. I feel like it's probably true. I, I, I feel like that um, it's kind of like his challenge coin. And so he'll be like walking down the street and people will call him out <laughs> and he'll have to right. have it on him. Materialize yeah. his nutmeg. That's funny. I, uh, yeah. So we're doing uh, fall drinks. One, because that mm -hmm. is the weather outside. And two, because our episode is um, on the Puritans and the Puritans weren't known for being drinkers. And so it was very hard to. Um, incorrect. <laughs> they also weren't known for being sexers. It also incorrect. Yeah. So actually the, what we know, what, yeah. So we say like, oh, they weren't known for it. They're not known for it now. But um, a lot of what people today know about the Puritans is based on what early historians thought of the Puritans, not the actual way the Puritans lived. And so um, when uh, later historians, like 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 a, like post-Victorian era historians started going back and looking at like how Puritans actually lived, they found they did a lot of like myth busting. <laughs> like the Puritans actually weren't anti-booze and they weren't anti-sex and they weren't anti, they, they um, were very concerned with like rules around this stuff like there was appropriate ways to do all of this but they they weren't the um prudes that history prudes sometimes that makes them out to be as long as you're doing it for god yeah basically like shots for god <laughs> sex for god yeah <laughs> so so that's the episode is we're gonna do some puritan myth busting um, i mean they were still colonizers and um mm -hmm. the, the pilgrims were monsters but it we blame a lot of American prudishness on our puritanical roots and maybe um, misplaced blame. Fascinating. Yeah, it will be. I think it'll be a good episode. So what are you up to today? Just brewing beer and drinking hot toddies? Right. We're, we got about a half an hour left in the boil and then we'll crash and rack and then ferment. That all sounds Those are words. like words that you said. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're again, we're about four hours into the brew. So we're, we've only have about a half an hour left. And we're at the point where we're adding hops for bittering for flavor. And then at the end, we'll add some for aroma. So, so what are you making? We're making a California common. 
also known as a steam beer. Anchor Steam is probably the most famous. What is it most so, closely related to that I would know? What is it? You don't know Anchor Steam? No. Hmm. Uh, uh, the best example in town is at Main and Six. They have a beer called Big Jim that is a California common. It's it's probably not, you probably wouldn't know one if you don't know Anchor Steam. That's, that's hands down the most common. Uh, essentially, it's a, a fairly malt heavy for, um, I mean, it's not that malt heavy, but it's maybe not quite as dark as a, a red or a brown, so more of an amber color. But the interesting thing is you pitch lager yeast instead of pitching ale yeast. And so you treat it like an ale, but you use lager yeast, which gives you different flavors than you might get from another kind of beer. I and heard... we can go in the differences of those, but I don't know if you want to go that much into beer right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel like I heard somewhere that like um, it, it depends on like where the yeast, like where is, is there something like called like bottom fermenting and top fermenting? Yep. And that's exactly like the difference right. yeah, between so... the two? Correct. Ale yeast is top fermenting. Lager yeast is bottom fermenting. He's and so proud of himself. That they, uh, no, that was, that was perfect. And the temperatures at which they ferment are different. So ale yeast can ferment you know, in the 60s and the 70s. Um, lager yeasts like it much colder. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be using a bottom fermenting lager yeast, but we're going to use it you know, in the 60s, 70s to ferment. Cool. So you guys are crazy. And things like wild. That. Know, right? Wild. Who does that? Look at you breaking all the rules. <laughs> well, you say that, that this has been done since the 1800s, but. Oh, well, maybe this should have been our drink of the day. Well, hot toddy has been around since the 1700s. So, I mean, uh, well, what there now? you go. Now, what? I actually <laughs> didn't know that. So, look at us with a good. Uh, Good timing on that. Yeah, so. nice little segue right back. It is beautiful. So well, I'm right. really excited for when we eventually have to do an episode where one of your beers is the the, the drink, drink of the episode. Yes. Oh, we just made a beer. We just made a banana nut beer, banana nut brown. Ooh. Oh my goodness. We had it on for our friends giving yesterday, and I've never seen ten people drink three and a half gallons of beer so quickly. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. You're not hungover. <laughs> Hey, um, no, no. As long as you drink enough water, you wake oh. up with a hot toddy. What's the problem? That's right. That's right. That's Ooh. a good, good uh, post-game drink. <laughs> so, yeah. all right. Well, well we're yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> It was excellent talking to you, and I can't wait to hear the episode. Yes, yes. It'll be out really, really, really soon because we're already a little bit behind. So um, thank you so much for giving us part of your day today, and enjoy the rest of your brew, and we will speak with you soon. Great. We'll have a good episode. Bye. See you later. All right. That was Paratees with Aaron. And um, we are enjoying our apple cider hot toddies. And they are super yummy. We didn't say, we didn't specify, but we are drinking wild turkey bourbon in ours today. So if you want to make exactly what we made, then that was what you would add to yours. Or if you want to pick yours like we picked ours, you buy what's on sale. What's on sale, yeah. So it's not our favorite. It's just what was available to us in the on-sale shelf. So, okay, cool. All right, so let's just start with uh, we're mostly wrong about, not mostly, we're wrong in a lot of ways about how the Puritans felt about sex and relationships. And the Puritans did not hate sex. I think that a lot of people don't understand who the Puritans were. That's true. Like, I, I think that a lot of people, like, in their heads think that, like, the pilgrims were the people that found America in the 1500th or 15th century with the Mayflower. They forget that it wasn't one of Columbus's ships. 
Maybe we should just start with who were the Puritans? Okay, so Puritanism was a really popular movement in the 16th and 17th century to reform English Christianity. So that's why it's so heavily related to like religious ideals as it was a really, it was a religious movement. Puritans were people who lived in that time frame, in that social space that were impacted by laws of uh, Puritan, uh, Puritan authority. Uh, so if you lived in a society that was governed by Puritan authority, whether or not you personally subscribed, subscribed, ascribed to the beliefs that you, that was, you were Puritan because you're in that like structure. There was a sentence in there somewhere. Jesus. I'm going to find it. Fuck. So, uh, you're going to leave it the way it was, aren't you? <laughs> around this time, there was a lot of really anti-Catholic sentiment because the Catholics were getting a lot of real political on top of their religious power. One of the articles I read, the quote was like, the Puritans didn't hate sex, but they did hate Catholics. Oh, yeah, yeah, very <laughs> much so. And um, they were kind of backed up by the the King of England at the time, who was uh, Henry VIII. And he wanted to split off of uh, the Catholicism. Can you play the Hermit's Hermit song? The I'm Henry VIII, I am sick. Because <laughs> that's all I think of every time I hear Henry I'm saying the whole thing. <laughs> it's one of the only songs I know all the words to. What? <laughs> I, I just had this weird flashback from this. I'm sorry. Is it that song like SpongeBob SquarePants? You know all the words. Yes. And then some like speed rap. Hey, I'm an enigma wrapped in mystery. <laughs> so Henry VIII didn't like the Catholics, but um, that was because the Pope at the time, Clement the Seventh, wouldn't annul his marriage. <laughs> and he was like, these guys have way too much political power. And so we're going to start the Church of England. And I so like they started it. the Church of England, which made a lot of people happy. But it was more of a political power move and not very much of a religious shift. And um, a lot of the Puritans didn't like that. Uh, they wanted even more. And so it was kind of a splinter off of there where uh, they they wanted English Christianity to be much more separate than what the Catholics were doing. And um, the Puritans weren't super popular at that time. And so they ended up like, still aren't. <laughs> yeah, they, they made pilgrimages to a bunch of different places, Ireland, a big group of them in, Nether in the Netherlands, like Denmark, which I think is, is that where they got the belt buckles on their hats? Mm -hmm. I don't know, probably. And then finally, from there, they, they moved to the US uh, to try to create their puritanical society. It was the um, the shining city on the hill. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that the, sounds. The, so they took the Mayflower to Jamestown and it was like the second successful uh, colony, English colony in the U.S. I forget what the first one was. Uh, Plymouth? Plymouth. Yeah. Jamestown yeah. and Plymouth. And again, the Puritans were colonizers. We are in no way endorsing colonizers or trying to glorify colonizer history. But we do, it's really important to me that we say that. It's really important to me that we are clear about this not being like a glorification of um, the pilgrims or the, the Puritans that settled in the, in the Americas. Um, but it is, again, a really important part of the history of the U.S. and how things are the way they are today and why things are the way they are today and why the people who have power have power and what that power looks like. And it really does impact uh, sexuality and relationships and religion today. Like these things are still in 
our culture in very, very big ways. And what's interesting to me and what I found interesting about like learning this um, was it's not necessarily what the Puritans did that's still like hanging on. It's what people believed about what the Puritans did that's still hanging on. Like, it's like we're playing a social more telephone game like <laughs> this <laughs> the, because the, the Victorians came along and they had kind of a, a less than agreeable view of the Puritans. Like in the Industrial Revolution era, we kind of the things that were important to the Puritans were not important anymore. And so um, there, what was one of the quotes that was I thought was one of the funniest things. Uh, 20th century writer H.L. Mencken famously summed this up when he defined Puritanism as the haunting fear that someone somewhere may be happy. So <laughs> the Puritans were like anti-pleasure. Um, and so the Puritans do have this sort of reputation of being very anti-pleasure and very staunchly dry, humorless. Um, and and that just isn't kind of the case. Yeah, what it was more was that they were extremely focused on how did their actions serve God's kingdom or not. And so the the way that the, the Puritans was kind of like, um, if you were going to have a plant grow from uh, into like a society of Puritanism, the seed is just going to be the individual. Like each person has to live their life in building, like, like their life has to be part of the kingdom of God. And then through that, they then uh, build their family unit and then their communities and then society all like towards this one goal. But down to the individual, every single action has to be focused in that way. And that way, the group's actions are all pointed in that same direction. And one of the actual really cool things that they did when focused on that type of individuality is that um, they wanted everybody to be able to learn for themselves. They were anti having a preacher up on a pulpit telling everybody what to do, you know, instilling the fear of God in everybody. They said, no, everybody needs to learn how to read. Yes. And so they didn't want their religious leaders to be just religious people. They had to be educated people. And so they want everybody to learn so that everybody can read the Bible. They end up building, they built Harvard and Yale as like two of the first educational communities uh, in the U.S. Uh, just to make sure that everybody was educated enough to be able to know for themselves what to do. Well, everybody, like men. I mean, they weren't against women reading, but women weren't going to Harvard and Yale. They weren't, they weren't anti-education of women in terms of like women did read, learn to read in their homes and that kind of thing. And so like fathers taught their children to read and you know, that kind of thing, but it was still patriarchal. Like oh, the, the man was still like, it wasn't like it, it, it was, um, there was a level of, there was a lot more individualism to their society, but it wasn't like super egalitarian or like a feminist. No, no, no. Like everybody still had their roles of what they had to do. Like, especially in the household, and the women w were definitely there to raise the kids to yes. have these beliefs. 
um, and then keep up the house and like the home finances and stuff like that. Yeah, they, women were responsible for home finances. Um, so the way that it worked was when they got married. Uh, so women did have some say in who they got married. Ultimately, their fathers had like the final say. But the way that they looked at it was that um, the fathers were like part of the process for choosing a good mate for their daughter. And the the way that they looked at marriage was that the the wife was like a like a help meet is like the word to the husband. So like the wife was to, to be like a partner to like a genuine partner to the husband. And so yes, the wife would give up all of her belongings and all of her financial, like everything that was hers became her husband's when they got married. And so she did lose that agency, but she was entrusted with like running the home finances and helping make big decisions. And she like spoke for her husband when he wasn't there. Like she was a, an extension of him. Like his, if he's bad, if he's Batman, she's Robin. Like she was like the right, his like right hand in a lot of ways where by historical standards, that's a lot more of a progressive view than I think what a lot of people have of the Puritans or have of like hyper-religious societies. I mean, the, um, the women were allowed to ask for divorce if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. And they were granted. In fact, um, if, a, if a husband wasn't, so grounds for divorce um, in that time were, um, hold on, I have a list. I wrote, I wrote these. Okay, so grounds for divorce were, um, adultery was grounds for divorce. Desertion was a ground, grounds for divorce. And if the woman didn't feel supported by her husband... And that didn't just include financial support. It also included like emotional and personal support. So if she felt like he was going through the motions of being married, but not actually intimately like in a relationship with her, like if behind closed doors, there wasn't truly a connection between them, she could ask for divorce and it could be granted because the Puritans really, truly believed that like part of that, like the marriage was represent representative of their relationships to God and that part of having a genuine marriage was having that connection with your spouse and that both spouses were responsible for fostering that connection and making it happen. I actually read a statistic that said at one point, um, this came from one of the big lawyers at the time, one out of six divorces was due to erectile dysfunction. Yeah, you could get, um, a marriage could get annulled if the man was impotent. Like if that was discovered in the early days of the marriage, if because the marriage wasn't official until it was sexually consummated, the Puritans deeply believed that um, sex was an intrinsic part of a good marriage and that it was a duty that the spouse, it wasn't just a duty that wives owed to their husbands, but it was a duty that the spouses owed to each other. And that it was essential to having a good marriage was um, a sex life. And so... Yeah, if the husband was impotent, the marriage get an old like immediately, or if the husband became intimate, uh, in, intimate, impotent, it could get they could get divorced. Yeah, um, and so they weren't super against sex. They were very much all about it once people were married. Context, yeah, because they uh, said that um, the the joy that you felt in that moment was the two people feeling their joyous connection with God. Yes. Yes. And that it was, um, I read, so this is, so there was this scholar, Edmund Leides, and he writes about love, friendship, and sexuality in Puritan theories of marriage. Uh, and I'll put the citation in the show notes. Um, so he's the one, it was his paper that I read that he talked about the outward fulfillment of the duties of marriage was not enough, that you had to have what he said, um, the proper intentions and feelings towards your spouse. So that also had to exist like in your heart. But they said that Puritans argued for the excellence of marriage 
by pointing out that it was instituted by God before the fall of man. So like biblically, we have the fall of man uh, that was Eve taking the apple from the sn- from Lucifer, from the snake, and then sharing it with Adam and that this sin, this shared sin, which if you look at like, it, it, like if you Bible, a lot of Bible scholars talk about the fall of man as being sex. Mm-hmm. I have um, a professor who uh, thinks that eating of the apple was the eating of their firstborn. It was like an infanticide um, reference, and he writes all about it. He's got a book about infanticide. His name is um, uh, Sam Kimball, and he writes this book about infanticide, and that's one of his theories. I'm probably like butchering it. He does a much better job discussing it, but like he talks about this being, it's really interesting. That's to, nuts. Yeah, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, well, it's I mean, I don't want to like say wild. he's nuts, but it's yeah. Like a, it's, yeah, it's, but it's really good. He's, it's very convincing listening to him talk about it. But yeah, so the, but there actually is not a, there's a lot of um, debate about what actually happened, but nobody really thinks this all happened over an actual apple, but that it was more that they, um, that Adam and Eve disobeyed an order from God in some way. And so what, what the exact specificity of that order was, um, but before, and that was the fall of man. And so just if you're like, what, what is the fall of man? Like from a biblical perspective, that's what that means. But before that happened, so a lot of like laws of mankind that God has like, like from a biblical perspective that God has like ushered in came after the fall of man as a way to like correct the now sinful nature of man. So like the idea was Adam and Eve lived in paradise and in paradise there was no sin and Adam and Eve could be naked and blameless before God and they would have um, many, the idea was they would have many, many beautiful children who would all be in this paradise forever and ever. And then Adam and Eve sinned and because of their sin, they were cast out of paradise and became like the first humans on to wander earth and like humankind has come from that and that the law the laws that god has for humankind have come as a way to correct the sinful nature of man from the fall in the garden of eden well marriage was god saying okay so basically all of at least, okay, this is how Puritans write about this. So this guy, Edmund Leides, he looked at like how Puritan scholars and Puritan religious authorities wrote about marriage. And the way that they talk about it is that Adam was created, all these other creatures had mates. Adam didn't have a mate. Adam needed a partner. Adam needed somebody to go through life with. Adam was not, it was not good for Adam to be alone. And so Eve was created so that Adam wouldn't be alone and they were created to be each other's partners and they were created to be married to each other. And so marriage was a part of paradise. And so paradise isn't paradise without marriage and without sex, which is a part of marriage. And so and a, a part of that, the in the Puritan view, like a part of that is like this, it says, um, one of the duties of a husband is to take joy and delight in his wife. And that if a husband stops taking like joy in his wife, that it's a grounds for dissolution of the marriage. That kind yeah, of thing. so a lot of people think about puritanical sex of being for reproduction only, when actually that was something that they were trying to escape. That was more of a Church of England type view. And they really did have an importance and focus on, I mean, procreation was obviously a part of it, but it was only a part of it. There was definitely weight into the idea of having, you know, joy and pleasure and everything as long as you're married and it's with your spouse. Yes. But the joy and pleasure were emotional, not physical. Uh, so this, the, the reason that the, there's this view that the Puritans 
didn't like sex that wasn't reproductive is because there are actually laws against non-reproductive sexual acts. So if you, let's say you were to survey 100 Puritans, they would probably tell you they have sex more times than they wish to make babies. Like they, they weren't just having sex to make babies. But the acts of sex that were allowed were acts of sex that could result in a baby. But that wasn't from a religious view. That was pragmatic. So the Puritans, like I think they get this um, reputation for being very stodgy because they were extremely rational, extremely practical, extremely pragmatic. And all of their religious views sort of reflected that pragmatism. And because their like singular purpose was to be connected to God, that was tied into their like laws and their day-to-day -day functioning and how they set up their banks and like all of those things. It was all connected to their religion. Like it it was this big spider web that could have been entangled. And so it, but the the Puritans really colonizing is dangerous. Lots of people die. And the populations, they need bodies to colonize. They need people. They need laborers. They need people in the colony for a colony to be successful. And so the only way to do that is to procreate. And so that's another reason that a woman could divorce her husband if he was impotent. It wasn't just that he couldn't have sex with her anymore, which was part of it. And that was an important part. But it was also because there was a duty for families to reproduce because of how important it was to their societies to be able to continue these the puritans made all these pilgrimages and they had all these colonies set up and they were dying really fast and they had to reproduce quickly to keep their numbers up so that they could call these colonies successful and then in victorian times what children meant to a family shifted because now we've got the industrial revolution the populations grow like booming and so now the victorian era we can think about dating and marriage for love we have the luxury of being able to do that where we weren't able to do that so much in the era of the pilgrims because they were just gonna all die out otherwise and so there it's not completely misplaced this assumption that sex was all about procreation because there was a heavy heavy emphasis on procreative sex and you could go you could be pre pre and extramarital sex same gender sex masturbation oral and anal sex even if you're married could all be punished mm -hmm. I think that also, uh, talking about the dangers of colonization and everything, it kind of circles us back to where the Puritans big drinkers, because they did drink. They didn't like to get drunk, but at that point, water cleanliness, kind of iffy, milk, we didn't have pasteurization yet. And so ales and stouts and everything were just kind of the drinks of the day and even the kids would have like low alcohol small beers and everything and uh when there were laws passed against native americans being able to drink uh the puritans fought back against that they're like no it's their god-given right to to drink they just shouldn't get drunk because that's not what you should do for god <laughs> but you should at least live fucking puritans but yeah if we look at the things like you, you said the list of things that um, are not allowed. The two things that I I saw a lot, or a lot of people were talking about um, and reading about this was the views against uh, homosexuality and bestiality, which they kind of viewed about equal. Yeah. 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 I think it was a waste of seed. Yeah. Like again, there's this. Uh, we have this notion of um, like don't spill your seed. 
which if you've grown up in a religious home of any kind, that's a pretty common um, view of like sex in a lot of religions is that there's like that sex is a life force. And that part of the reason, one of the reasons that religions, one of the many really reasons that uh, religion will have prohibitions around sex is because it's like a waste of this life energy. And uh, the pilgrim, the Puritans weren't like a lot different in that way. Um, and so because you can't procreate with animals and because same gender folks can't biologically procreate together, there that was part of why it was prohibited. And so it was interesting the things that they would, the sexual things that they would punish and how they would punish them. Um, like, so I guess when they started, like, especially the colonies here in the US, um, when they when they first started things, there were a lot of really staunch laws about sexual misconduct and what was perceived to be sexual misconduct. And um, like adultery was punishable by death, rape was punishable by death, sodomy was punishable by death, um, these kinds of things. And then other, le like, the other punishments could be like public shame. So you get like the scarlet letter, like that's a, that's a real thing that happened. Ostracism, you know, go, you get kicked out of the village or kicked out of your family or whatever. Uh, fines, like big, heavy fines, financial fines, because again, the, the religious law and the law of the land were the same. And so, but the, the like longer the colonies were there, the more they realized it didn't matter how many laws there were against this stuff. People were still doing it. And so they started getting really lax on the punishments. And so they would, they did a lot less killing for this stuff and a lot more like wear your scarlet letter and be gone or pay your fine and be done with it. And so when they look like a uh, premarital sex, especially that was one that really, there's a lot of, um, we blame a lot of views on American views on premarital sex on the Puritans because the Puritans had laws against having premarital sex, but they also were like very, interested in context and if the couple did eventually get married they were pretty likely to brush it off and so there's one of the historians estimated that like a third of new england brides were pregnant before they got married wow yeah <laughs> because it was like oh now we got and it made me think of the gilmore girls like we were just watching that episode where that where lorelei and christopher end up at the gilmore house and their parents are there and rory's there and they're the parents are giving them a hard time because they got pregnant with rory and they didn't get married because there's a protocol like richard gilmore kept saying like there is a protocol that gets followed and it was funny because he sounded like a fucking pilgrim like i mean i wouldn't be surprised if the gilmores came over on the mayflower we're direct descendant yeah. yeah and it yeah but it made me think of like we're not of course we blame american conservative um repressive values like the repressive nature of some conservative values gets blamed on puritanism and it's not all misplaced so again the puritans didn't hate sex as long as you were a man and a woman in a legal marriage that could also make children. So if you couldn't make babies together, if you didn't, if you were same sex, if you weren't married, if you, you know, so there were a lot of ways that your sex could be outlawed to the point of your death. But if you fit into their description of what was holy and right and would put you next to God, then sex was fine. And I was really, I was raised in a really similar space of that we were, my, my family was very sex positive as long as sex happened in marriage. It was kind of how, how it went. So we weren't, you know, I, we, we talked about sex and my parents were really open with me about stuff. But the idea was that as long, 
everything was anything goes as long as you're married and you're just having sex with your partner and there was a duty in my house we just didn't talk about it and they didn't knock on doors catholics <laughs> that's funny the whole thing about love so puritans did not marry for love um they married for compatibility and for property um again very pragmatic but the idea was that you married somebody you thought you had the potential to love. So compatibility was really important because the Puritans very much valued love in a marriage and they very much valued loving relationships between spouses, but they just didn't think that you had to be in love to get married. They thought that like marriage for love was a really immature, impermanent concept and like a really bad foundation for a marriage. They believed that like a better foundation for a marriage was that you um, had compatible you had financial stability you had compatible personalities maybe you had compatible families and that you could be friends and then from that friendship love would grow and it was your responsibility as spouses to foster to be romantic with each other and to romance and woo each other once you were married and sex was a part of that romance to create love once you were together and then it was very important that that rigor that vigor and that fire of romance stayed throughout the marriage that you didn't ever let it like die down yeah because the the goal was that when you eventually died then the two of you are like eternally joined mm -hmm. and so for you to be able to enjoy and celebrate the glory of heaven you know when when you've done all this work and then you get to enjoy the fruits of all that labor after you've died you want to make sure that that you two are cool with infinity together. Basically, yeah. yes. So um, that was, uh, I thought it was really interesting because I, I, the Victorians were very much about marry for love. Um, this is a, so this is from another um, article that I read. It was, there's a, a Puritan named Thomas Hooker and his description of a devoted husband. The man whose heart is endeared to the woman he loves, he dreams of her in the night hath her in his eye and apprehension when he awakes, museth on her as he sits at table, walks with her when he travels and parleys with her in each place where he comes. So he's his a, a husband's in love with his wife. And uh, that's really pretty. Oh, 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 this is really um, a big deal though. Be in love with your spouse unless that love interferes with your relationship with God or you come to a place where you love your spouse more than you love God. And then it is not okay. So this was a different, uh, came from a different article. It was uh, a minister named John Cotton. And uh, he said, um, he was cautioning that human love did not exceed the proper bounds. And so that was, you know, that you didn't love your spouse more than God. He says, sometimes a man hath a good affection to religion but the love of his wife carries him away. A man may be so transported to his wife that he dare not be forward in religion, lest he displease his wife, and so the wife, lest she displease her husband. And this is an inordinate love when it exceeds measure. So if you let your spouse pull you away from God or, or divert your attention from God, then you're both out of whack and you need to realign. Yeah, and that just goes back to the general attitude of, Every single action, everything you do has to be in some way building yourself as your piece of God's kingdom or glory or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, so it is interesting to think of the Puritans as having a context under which sex could be good 
and that, but I don't think that their reputation for being, I don't think their reputation is all undeserved. Because if you are a queer person, if you are, I didn't read a lot of how they felt, but I, I know how they treated, you know, Native Americans and indigenous people. So I imagine if you, if there were interracial things happening, that was not okay. So if you're, if you're queer, if you're a person of color, if you are asexual, if you, a lot of marriages go through long periods of time with where their sex fluctuates, where, you know, you're having a lot of sex right now, or uh, you have spouses with mismatched libido levels. And so sex doesn't always line up perfectly. A lot of sex is not about babies. And so, yes, we, we see that like in the confines of marriage that sex could happen that wasn't baby making, but there's a lot of beautiful, pleasurable, wonderful sex that's like masturbation, oral sex, anal sex that was completely forbidden to the point of being punished. And so there's a lot, that's all holdover stuff. A lot of fear, I think a lot of fear that like, uh, one of the things that kept coming up was this idea of it being punishable by law for a man to be impotent and how um, it makes so much sense that we still have this tenant of toxic masculinity that a man, that like masculinity and your penis are this two interchangeable like concepts and that penis size and virility and fertility are very tied to your value as a man. And that trickles out into ideas of like, what does it mean to be a man at all? And what is gender? And what about trans men? And what about trans women? And this, I, this, because it didn't say like, if a woman can't orgasm, or it didn't say like, you know, that's another thing we didn't see at all. And I kept trying to look it up. Like, I know that legally a husband couldn't get prosecuted for rape until like, I think the late seventies or eighties here in the U S like it was, it's pretty new, but this idea, like from a social standpoint of like a husband raping a wife or that a husband could take sex from a wife. I don't even think that that we don't even see scholars writing about that. Cause I don't know that that came up in conversation. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. If it's your duty to have sex with each other, if you only think of sex as a penis going in a vagina and you have a penis and your penis doesn't get erect, there's just only so far that sexual encounter can go. But if the person with a penis can get erect, then the other person, it doesn't really matter if they want it, they're going to give it up because they believe it's their duty from a religious standpoint. There isn't a sense of that you can say no, like you don't say no to your spouse. That's not consent. And so I wonder how much... I mean, you have to know that there were marriages where people were having sex they didn't want to have because it was their duty to God or because they didn't want to lose their marriage because they just lost everything getting married in the first place. Or there wasn't a lot of violence in these marriages. Like it was very, very important that spouses not fight, not curse, not beat each other, not like if you were found to be beating your spouse, divorce granted, like you would get prosecuted. Like, so there wasn't a lot of like, um, that kind of violence. And so I don't think there was a lot of violent taking of sex, but I don't think there was a lot of denial based on pleasure either. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just think that, so I, I think about how, like, if you're in a situation now, let's say we're still in Puritan times and I don't want to have sex with my husband. That's not a choice, right? Like, yeah, it's not even something that an option that you would have entertained in the first place. Yeah. You're just going to do it because yeah. that's what you do because that's your duty as a wife. And so, but I know that that's not how real people's brains work. And so I'm just, I just found it interesting that I could find nothing written about 
what happened when a wife didn't want it. Like there was nothing about it. Like nobody ever, historians, there's nothing to look, there's nothing to find. There's nothing written down anywhere about that conversation even happening because it just was literally unheard of to entertain that conversation. But I know that it wasn't unheard of in the experiences of those women because I know how people are. So it's just a really interesting thing to think about too. So when we, these carryovers of the um, deeply entwined religious and social laws, they worked well enough in these colonies because the only people impacted were members of these churches. But as the Industrial Revolution brought on these big booms, laws of the land had been written with the Puritan values in mind, but not everybody fit those values. And so that's how we had things like speakeasies and underground queer clubs and, and you know, LGBT nightclubs, um, whatever. We, we started people that didn't fit into that mold became the fringes of society because there were laws written around it and there were social expectations around what would happen. And so even if we were, even if the Victorian era was kind of found the Puritans to be a little bit laughable, there were still all these holdovers and it carried through and carried through and carried through to the point that we're watching it on episodes of the freaking Gilmore Girls today, you know? So I don't, I think that they I think they deserve the reputation. I think we still see it all the time. And I think when we look at something in sex education or when we look at something, you know, really heavy, like abstinence values and those kinds of things that we know don't really work, they didn't work then. They were telling them to be abstinent and they, to the, it, it didn't work to the point that they just created all these loopholes for them. Well, as long as you get married, it'll be fine. That kind of thing. So we, we it never worked and we're still trying to do it. Those are all holdovers from the founders being Puritans and the initial laws of the land being written by people with those values. <laughs> cool. That's all I had. All right. I mean, that's all. I mean, I could probably keep going. I had more, but like pages of stuff, but nothing, I think super new. Let me see if there was anything I didn't cover that I really wanted to. No, I will say if you want to learn more about this, um, the scholar Edward Morgan has a paper called The Puritans and Sex. And I'll link to that. And that's really cool. And a lot of his stuff is what other people learned from. Also, uh, Lisa Wade, who is the author of um, Hookup Culture, the book okay, Hookup yeah. Culture, she has written a really cool piece on um, Puritan sex and love. It's called Before Love, Puritan Beliefs About Marriage and Procreation. And so that's also, we'll link to that. That's a really cool piece. So all the stuff I use to kind of dig up this stuff, I'll make sure we link to um, if you want to do a deeper dive. But yeah, it is, yeah, I thought that's kind of all I had too. Very cool. So yeah, um, what do we have next on the agenda? Do we remember what we're doing next? Famous arranged marriages. Cool. All right, so uh, on the next... On the next episode, we're going to talk about arranged marriages. So, uh, and I will have just defended my thesis. <laughs> and that'll be lots of fun for all of us. Very cool. All right. So thank you all for joining us. Enjoy your hot toddies and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.